As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Yo, technology. What is it all about? Yeah, no, direct to consumer is so far from dead. In fact, I think it's, you know, if this is, to use a bad sports analogy, you know, if this is a baseball game, they're still on DTC, direct to consumer is still on the bus on the way to the stadium. We haven't even started playing yet. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley. How is everybody doing this very fine week? All is well out here in California. It is crazy, crazy, crazy hot. Fire season has begun. It's a total bummer. Uh, you know, it's great to see the blue skies. Not so much when they you see the kind of trails of smoke, but such is life out here on the West Coast. But hope all is very well with you. This week, we have a great guest for you guys. Harley Finkelstein. He's the president of Shopify, is on the show. And Shopify, if you don't know, uh, I imagine most of you do, is an e-commerce company. They make it super easy for anyone to set up and run an online store. And they are in the running for the company that perhaps had the best pandemic or certainly right at the top. So when the shutdowns happened two years ago in March 2020, Shopify was suddenly inundated because you had all these companies who couldn't sell out of their physical locations anymore and were like, ooh, we got to go online or we got to ramp up our online presence, whatever it may be. And so over the next two years, Shopify nearly doubled the merchants on its platform from one to, to over two million. Sales tripled, its share price almost quintupled. When it got to its height last November, it was worth $220 billion and just moving hundreds of billions of dollars of goods through the system. Really incredible. Um, But since then, it's been all downhill. Um, You know, as the pandemic faded, people started going back to stores, inflation kicked in, growth slowed, interest rates gone up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The stock since November has dropped 80%. It's basically given up all of the gains of the last two years have just disappeared. And in the meantime, Amazon has announced plans to launch a direct competitor to Shopify. They're calling it Buy With Prime, which will allow anyone to set up a store using Amazon's tools. And so now all of a sudden, this kind of amazing story for this company that was founded 16 years ago and really kind of hit it out of the park these last two years. There's lots of questions about, you know, the company's next act, uh, the future of e-commerce, especially as the world kind of returns to normal and all of these grand predictions about this brave new world have kind of have crumbled. So that is the context for this week's show. It's just been a total roller coaster these last two weeks. And this week, Shopify has tried to kind of answer those critics with the rollout of more than like 100 new features and tools for merchants, really trying to show that there's still many chapters to be written in this whole e-commerce thing and that Shopify will be right in the middle of it. And yeah, it's all fine. It's all great. And no need to worry about it getting crushed by Amazon. So that is in the midst of all of that, Harley carved out a bit of time to talk 
about the company the last couple of years, the future, and its decision early in the pandemic to go fully remote. It was amongst the first, and it was a big move for a company that employs more than 10,000 people. So we cover all of that and more. Shopify, I think, is one of the most interesting companies in tech, so I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Um, and we're going to get to it right now with Harley Finkelstein, the president of Shopify. Enjoy. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here. This is uh, wonderful. I'm, I'm grateful that you've taken such an interest in Shopify. It means a lot to us. Yeah, no. Well, so I, I'm fascinated because I, like everybody else, is watching the total chaos and mayhem on the markets, especially for tech companies. And what do you mean? I, it's... <laughs> it's all fine. It's been great. Super Everything's, easy. It, it, you know that, uh, that internet, that meme where like someone's sitting in the fire? I think it's a dog sitting in fire. Yes, and it says exactly. uh, everything's fine. It is actually, it, I mean, it's a fascinating kind of time for, for many reasons. One is, I mean, yeah, we have sort of market stuff that's happening, looming recession, inflation, interest rates, and all these things. At the same time, we're also coming out of like the first real global pandemic in like, I don't know, what, 100 years, like since you know, Spanish flu. So it's it's kind of a fascinating time. And, and I think um, there's sort of two ways to look at it. One is sort of on the consumer side, and the other one, of course, for us is on the merchant side. And in many ways, my suspicion is that this will be, there, there's a great term from Nassim Taleb called uh, anti-fragility, um, mm -hmm. which is sort of, you know, when you break, when you drop something and it breaks, it's fragile. When you drop something, it doesn't, and it doesn't break, it's it's robust. But there's a third sort of model, which is third system, which is the anti-fragile system. When you drop it, it breaks, but it actually heals better than, than it was in the first place, sort of like you know, right. the immune system. And I, I think there may be some real stories of anti-fragility come out of this. And obviously you're hoping Shopify is one of them. Certainly. And more importantly, I think that the 2 million and more stores that you Shopify and brands that you Shopify, many of them will be that as well. Um, so yeah, that's the hope. Well, that's what was really interesting. So you guys obviously had your big announcement this week and it's uh, you don't often see an announcement where it's like, we have a hundred new things, literally a hundred new tools, features, et cetera, to introduce. But part of this it seems to me, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is also about Obviously, it's giving new tools, uh, expanding into new areas, increasing capabilities, et cetera, for all the companies that use Shopify. But it also feels like Shopify is kind of itself coming out of the shadows a bit to kind of become a brand that people recognize. And I'm just wondering, is that part of the plan here? And if so, why? Well, first of all, I think Shopify has been the brand behind consumers' favorite brands for a long yeah. time. I just don't yeah. think consumers necessarily knew that. Right. Last year in 2021... I think about 600 million consumers bought from Shopify stores. And again, many of them haven't really necessarily, wouldn't necessarily know it. We actually kind of like that positioning. You know, mm. the, the sort of mission is to help entrepreneurs, businesses start, scale, and grow and right. get really big. And so our positioning of, you know, being the brand behind your favorite brand worked really well for us. And then, you know, a couple of things changed. One is obviously Shopify as a company got much bigger. Two, uh, a lot more people began to try their hand at entrepreneurship in a way that just, you didn't see that previously. I mean, I think there was... Yeah, I mean, they kind of had no choice, right? Many of them had no many choice. Them. That's that's exactly, they lost their jobs. Entrepreneurship is a great way to subsidize their income or to bring in additional income. Uh, if they lost their job, replace their income. So one is more people, you know, a lot more consumers turned into entrepreneurs in the last couple of years than frankly in the previous 15 years. But more, I think more more to the point, you know, ShopPay, for example, is in the wild and you see ShopPay pretty much you know, everywhere across your favorite, uh, your favorite brands. And, and, and I think frankly, it's, it's the best way to check out, um, but by far. And in fact, if you think about shop pay just as a concept, 
for a long time, a lot of brands. And shop pay for those who don't know. I'm sure most people do. It's accelerated uh, checkout. It, it makes it yeah. really simple and safe to buy from a vast majority of Shopify stores. And we've processed now more than uh, $50 billion worth of payments uh, through shop pay. But right. the, the shop pay concept is, is great. I mean, you know, the idea of, of giving everybody one click checkout and not necessarily requiring that they use, they have to host their store in someone else's marketplace and run customers to use one click checkout. Now we, we've given out to every every merchant, but the, the result of it is that consumers see the Shopify brand or the shop brand more in the wild. Um, the shop app, for example, which is we think one of the best ways to, and one of the most fun, enjoyable experience of shopping uh, on, your, on your mobile device is number two or number three most popular shopping apps in the iOS store. So I think mm -hmm. Shopify is, is sort of, you know, you said coming out of the, uh, out of the shadows. Shopify certainly is, people are connecting the dots now that, hey, there's this company and it seems to be like every one of my favorite brands is working with this company to uh, to, to, to sell on their retail operations, on their commerce systems. And I think that's the reason why more people are talking about Shopify today. What is the value for you as a company to be more kind of visible and kind of on the front lines, so to speak? Because as you say, you're used by 2 million online stores and they're obviously your customer. What is the kind of strategy you're thinking about being like, actually, we're going to be a brand that is recognized as well as kind of being the kind of the pipes or the you know the the kind of the storefront if you will for for all these companies i mean our vision and and, and certainly our, our mission for the last 16 years has been to make it easy for anyone that has an idea to start a business and then if they have traction uh, if they find product market fit, not all of them will, but 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 many of them will, they're able to scale and become the next Gymshark or the next Allbirds or the next Fig. Some of these companies have gone public recently and they built the entire business on Shopify. So yeah. part of it is that we think more and more people in the future will try their hand in entrepreneurship and we want to be the default, the de facto way to sort of to try your hand. When you have a fun idea in the shower in the morning, the next step should be starting a Shopify store for $29. And, and it's very easy to use and easy to get set up. And then again, when you grow, you can you can do billions of dollars on Shopify without ever having to leave the platform. But the main benefit of us being more present, more out there is, you know, the more merchants we have on the platform, the larger the economy of scale becomes. And mm. our business model is really unique in that if you're a Shopify merchant, Shopify right now, just to use the US, for example, we're about 10% of all e-commerce in the US. If you were to right. pretend that we were a retailer, we're not a retailer, but pretend we were a retailer, we would be the second largest online retailer in America. After this other company, that, that, that other Amazon company. Yeah, there's, there's another company there. That, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that is uh, the first. But, but, you know, but so in, in aggregate, we're the second. So that means when we go to negotiate payment rates or shipping rates or rates on capital, every merchant solution, every um, hmm. problem set that an entrepreneur needs, if they're on Shopify, they are getting the product, they're getting the pricing, they're getting the advantage of being part of this network, which is the second largest retailer. At the same time, they have an independent business. We are not renting customers to these merchants. Their customers belong to them. If they want to leave Shopify, they don't, but, but if they were to, yeah. they leave with their customers. We don't own their business. And so the idea of being able to build a large independent company where you own your consumer and you also get the advantages of massive economies of scale, that's something that makes Shopify really, 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 really unique. And the more people that know about Shopify and that what's available means more people will try their hand at it. The interesting part is that, you know, every 30 or so seconds, a new entrepreneur gets their first sale on Shopify, which we love mm. because it means that we're not just growing our piece of the pie, we're growing the pie itself in terms of our market. At the same time, you're seeing brands like the NBA or Crayola or, you know, Call of Duty or Feastables from Mr. Beast or Mattel or Spanx, these, these iconic 
brands all come to Shopify as well and are shifting their uh, retail operations to us. So on both sides of it, we're able to help new businesses get created. And then on the enterprise side, we're able to help very large established brands have a direct to consumer business model that is, you know, frankly, future proofed. Right, right, right. And can we go back 16 years to when you guys started this company? And I know you've probably sold the story a million times, but just okay. give a brief kind of my favorite story history <laughs> of kind of how you guys got started. And also, you know, you're talking about 2 million people or 2 million businesses rather using this, using Shopify. If you can kind of take us back to 2006 and what e-commerce looked like then yeah. relative to what is happening now. Because I think what's really interesting now is that, you know, the pandemic happens. Everybody's like, oh, you know, e-commerce has accelerated five years in terms of growth. And then the pandemic is not over, quote unquote, but people are kind of acting as if it is and getting back into the world. And all of a sudden it's like, uh, just kidding. E-commerce has not accelerated five years, maybe, and it might even be slowing or whatever. But I just think it'd be really good to get a sense of that kind of that arc and where we are, especially from where you guys started, which is, you know, you guys are like a, a grizzled veteran of e-commerce now. So let's go back even before uh, 2006. If you go back, I don't know, a couple hundred years and you think about where commerce happened. A couple where, hundred years. I let's love let's this. go back. Yes. Let's, uh, you think about where commerce happened in, in yeah. a town, in a city, in a, in a place. It almost always happened in the town square. It's where the baker sold bread and the cobbler sold shoes. Yeah. And it was because that's where, that was the surface area for where consumers spent their time. So that's where retailers and brands sold their products. And then you sort of had this period in the late 1800s, 1876, I think, you had Wanamaker's department store created by John Wanamaker, a famous politician and I think marketer as well. And for the first time, you had a bunch of brands being sold under one roof through this concept of the department store. And you had a lot of these departments, you know, the era of the department store lasted for a very long time, over a hundred years. If you want to go and buy, you know, my favorite t-shirt is James Purse. They didn't exist, you know, 50 years ago, but if they did, you'd, you'd go and buy it at a, at a physical retail department store. And the reason was the department store fundamentally had distribution. They had stores yeah. in different cities. And if you're a brand, you sold it to the the department store and they resold to the end consumer. Well, it's funny. Just just pause one second. You say department store. And as I was driving home yesterday from a meeting, I saw, a, I think it used to be a JCPenney or a Macy's. Was They had the giant tearing down machines. It was just being completely destroyed. It was right along the, like, the 101. I just, it was just like a very kind of visceral, like, oh, yeah, retailing where it used to be. Yeah, yeah, especially it's been I mean, I actually think, you know, it's a different topic we can get there later on, but I actually think yeah. we overbuilt um these department stores, these shopping malls. It wasn't that like they're no longer important, they no longer play a role. In fact, I think the high street, I think physical retail is is very important for the future of retail, yeah. which is why we're working, we're doing so much in that in that area. So you had this sort of era of, of department stores. And then around the nineties, you began to see this idea of e-commerce come about. Mm. And it was cool because it meant that you as a brand could more easily connect with the end consumer. You didn't necessarily have to go and convince a buyer at one of these mega retailers or department stores to put your products on their shelves. You actually can reach in and talk to the end consumer through this concept called the internet. The internet effectively democratized distribution. But it was very, very expensive and very, very difficult. In fact, yeah. you know, if you go back till 2004, 2005 or so, Toby had moved here, our CEO had moved here and founder had moved here from Germany to Canada wanted to, he couldn't get a job because he was a new immigrant, but he was told that he could start a business. And so he thought being a new immigrant to Canada, why doesn't he go ahead and, and sell snowboards? There's, you know, it's pretty cold here, lots of snow all over, yeah. lots of ski hills and snow and, and places to snowboard. So he wanted to sell snowboards on the internet. And 
there were two ways in 2004 to sell a product on the internet. One way was you paid some really big company like WebSphere, like IBM or Oracle or SAP, like a million dollars, and they would build you an online store. Yeah. Or you sold your products on a third-party marketplace. In, the, in, the, in those days, eBay was really one of the more prominent ones. And although eBay was inexpensive, it didn't allow you to build your own brand, have your own, you know, you were renting customers from eBay. And then on the sort of enterprise e-commerce side, if you didn't have a million dollars, you, you can do it. So frustrated with both of these options, Toby decided to write a piece of software to sell these snowboards. And the idea was build software that can make it really easy to build a beautiful online store that was scalable, that handled inventory and payments and shipping and fulfillment and all that stuff. And then, you know, he ran that store for about a year or so. And, and after about a year, a lot of people um, started asking him, myself included, if we can use the software he built to sell our own products. I was a t-shirt entrepreneur uh, all throughout college and, and grad school, um, putting myself through school selling t-shirts. What kind of t-shirts? They were um, like collegiate promotional products. So on your first day of school at McGill uh, University, which is where I went, or University of Ottawa, where I went to grad school, you'd get a t-shirt, a bag, and a hat. I would make those sort of things. I see, I see, I see. And I, I, I wanted to sort of move beyond just a wholesale in-person business to more of a, a retail business that ran concurrently while I was in class. Mm. And so Toby quickly realized that the snowboard business was a good idea, but the software that he built to power the snowboard business, that was a great idea. In 2006, right, 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 Shopify right, right. was born. And the idea was, what if we gave small businesses the same e-commerce tools and functionality that traditionally only the biggest companies on the planet could afford? What would happen? And the end result is that one, more people started businesses because the barrier to entry was lower. The likelihood of their success was higher because we were removing so many different hurdles. I mean, even this idea of having to get a payment gateway set up, you know, at one point, if you wanted a merchant account, you had to fax your passport to a bank in Utah, at least in the US and Canada, and then wait seven <laughs> days. Whereas with Shopify, we provisioned right, a merchant account right, for you right. in, in, as part of sign up. So, Basically, between 2006 and 2010, um, we really we were bootstrapped. The idea was just get as many entrepreneurs to build on Shopify and to make sure they're successful. And in 2010, we raised our first round of financing. Um, it was a small round. I think we raised about seven million dollars at the time, which uh, you know it was we were I don't know 20 people maybe. But something happened shortly thereafter that, which is that well, two things happened. One is it became obvious to us uh, around 2012 that the future of retail was not just going to be online nor was it only going to be offline. That it's going to be, going back to that town square that I example I gave you, yeah. it's going to be retail everywhere, and it'll be about consumer choice. And so it was around 2012 and 13 that we began to roll up products like Shopify Point of Sale, so that you have a single dashboard or a single operating system, if you, if you will, whereby you can run all of your retail operations online and in a physical location. And it's all beautifully integrated. And then as time went on and we went public in 2015, we added more channels. We brought in companies like Facebook and Instagram and more recently Twitter, for example. So what we're trying to do ultimately is create this, this, this product that makes it incredibly easy to sell anywhere you have customers, whether they're online or offline on social media, they're at a farmer's market, they're anywhere. And I think that idea of retail being everywhere is what at least the best brands that I talk to deeply understand will be the future of, of commerce. Now, along the way, a couple other things happened. For example, we began to add merchant services. We realized that most small businesses 
can't get money. They can't get capital. So we created a, yeah. uh, what is now a $3 billion capital and loans business. We realized that fulfillment is difficult. What if we did the whole economy of scale thing for fulfillment and gave anyone, uh, every merchant on Shopify, you know, two-day affordable shipping they can offer their consumer. So over time, what we're trying to become is the most important piece of software that these merchants need. And the end result of it is that, you know, merchants have now sold more than $500 billion of GMV with Shopify. You know, in, in, in last Q1 alone, they sold over $43 billion with Shopify. And more and more, we believe that our, our value to these merchants is solving more of their problems and inviting more people to participate in entrepreneurship. And companies like, you know, one of my favorite companies that you and I, I think, corresponded about a while ago is Gymshark. And what Ben Francis did as a college student, he's now one of the biggest brands on the planet, rivaling Nike. And that was entirely built on Shopify. Right. And um, so in 2015, when Amazon basically got out of the this business, because they were trying to do a Shopify competitor, so to speak, and it was kind of not really working. And you guys did a deal with him. Is that right? The timing is around that time. Yeah, they, they, they had a sort of um, uh, store model, and they ended up shutting it down and, and migrating a lot of their, their merchants to Shopify. That kind of strikes me as a moment like uh, when like Netflix was getting going with streaming, and they're like going to ABC and all the other big studios and be like, Yeah, give us uh, the office and all your stuff we will pay you and these studios gave away this business and then helped kind of seed this giant competitor. Is it fair that that, that is that a fair analogy? I, I don't view it that way. I, I think that the, you know, the David and Goliath uh, or the Amazon and Shopify story is misconstrued quite a bit. I actually think that there is a place for both commerce models. Let's just use the consumer side. As a consumer, again, I mentioned that I love, I wear a black t-shirt every day. I love my black t-shirts. I want to buy my black t-shirts from the people that make it. Uh, in my case, James Purse, I think he is obsessed I mean, truly obsessed with the idea of making beautiful black t-shirts in the same way that all birds on my feet right now are obsessed with making beautiful wool shoes and all types of sneakers right. and, and doing it in a very sustainable way. I want to vote with my wallet as a consumer to buy from those brands, those entrepreneurs, those businesses, because I want more of them to exist in the world. However, if I need something more of a utility, paper towel or toothpaste, marketplaces are very valuable for that. It allows me to search across tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of products. And so I think that there's a, there's a place for marketplaces. In fact, we integrate and, and make it easy for merchants to push their products to marketplaces, whether it's eBay, for example, or it's a, a marketplace like Rakuten in, in, in Japan, or it's a yeah. place, you know, so we make it really easy for our merchants to leverage those marketplaces. But ultimately, I think this idea of direct to consumer, where you have this direct relationship one-to-one -one with the person you're buying from, that will be a mainstay in the future of commerce. And so I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both depending on what you're looking for. From a merchant perspective, there are going to be brands who simply want to sell on a marketplace. They don't want to worry about customers. Their job is to sell as many products as possible. But when you look across our brands and, and, and particularly, you know, some of our, our largest brands on, you know, the Gymsharks, the Lounges, the Unis, the Huels, uh, for example, you know, modern brands like Warpaint uh, or legacy brand like Bellstaff in London, they want to have a direct relationship with the people buying from it. They want to curate that experience. They want to ensure that that, that customer is buying directly from them for remarketing reasons because they want to have a, they want to be able to have a deeper, authentic relationship. And so, I don't think it's sort of binary. I don't think it's one or the other. Mm -hmm. I think there's a there's a future for both. The brands that I love, the brands that I deeply care about, for the most part, they want to have a deeper relationship, which is why, you know, we announced over a hundred features and functionality and products at additions, I think the largest sort of takeaway from additions 
is the shift from direct to consumer, which is really one-to-one -one and transactional, yeah. to this idea yeah. of connect to consumer, which is like multiple pathways, multiple touch points. Right, right. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can we talk about fulfillment? Because I think that's really interesting. Sure, because, yeah. I mean, I think you guys have obviously spent years as a, you know, creating software tools, which is one type of business kind of getting into moving physical stuff around. There's a completely different business. And you guys did this uh, deliver acquisition earlier this year. What is the plan there? Because that feels like a both, I, I understand it because if you can handle kind of logistics for your customers, that's a huge uh, service, but it also feels like that's a completely different business and very difficult. So I think if you talk to most merchants that have some scale, meaning you know they're, they're selling products to more than just their, their mom and dad, but they have a real business, they will say that supply chain management and fulfillment are some of the biggest challenges that they face running yeah. their day-to-day -day operations. And right now, most merchants have to fumble through a maze of, of freight providers and 3PLs and middle carriers and last mile carriers, just to name a few. And so what we're really trying to do is, and obviously Deliver accelerates this, is to create the most merchant-obsessed end-to-end logistics platform so that you as a merchant, you have control, you have full visibility, you own the relationship, but that you're able to leverage economies of scale across this network. And the way that we're building it is, is first of all, very different than some of the other 3PLs. We know that there's all these third-party logistics warehouses all over the US and all over the world for the matter, but we're starting with the US for now, uh, who are empty, but they have good operations. And so what we did was we went to a lot of them and said, we're going to give you this software, Shopify WMS, warehouse management software, and you're going to integrate it into your warehousing. And then we are going to add you to this network, which we call the Shopify Fulfillment Network. And we will invite merchants to, uh, to come into the network. We will place their products there and we will give you all the instructions you need, when to ship it out, how much to ship out, what to ship out. And so that's the, the, the goal is to create this end-to-end -end logistics network, which leverages partner logistics warehouse. We don't need to own them all ourselves. We actually don't think it's, that's a good strategy, whereby we can anticipate inventory and how close that inventory needs to be to the end consumer. That's what Deliver really helps us do. That idea of inventory balancing says that get, provides us with the insight to say to any merchant, these SKUs, these, these styles should go to California and these styles should go to Atlanta or New Jersey because that's where we anticipate 
the end consumer is going to be. And the idea is to, in the same way we did with capital and payments, we want to level the playing field so that every merchant on Shopify can offer the same type of delivery services that the biggest companies can offer. And we think that we can do that in a very software asset light model. And we've been at it now for about two or three years and and it's working. Uh, we think we can do better. We think we can continue to increase the amount of merchants we serve. Those are atoms as opposed to bits and bytes. And the reason we think that's important is because we want to solve more problems for merchants. And we think that if we do it well, it'll be one more reason that merchants of every size will use Shopify and only use Shopify for their retail operations. So just so I understand, so you're basically giving these warehouse operators, your kind of warehouse management system to kind of run whatever section of that facility has Shopify shops stuff in there. In some cases, they may have a section in the, in some cases, maybe the entirety of it. So we will probably have, we will have a couple of hubs that we, we, yeah. we manage ourselves to ensure quality control, to make sure that we're able to actually uh, play a role in ensuring that these things get done well. I see. So it's think of a sort of hub and spoke model. There will be a couple hubs, but all the spokes will be these third party warehouses, logistic warehouses, and we'll measure them. And if they're a good partner and they're hitting certain quality control metrics and they're hitting certain, uh, SLAs or KPIs, we will we will send them more business. And if they're not, we will take them offline. But the idea is, is connecting a bunch of third-party warehouses into one single network. And so just on the merchant side for a second, if you are manufacturing products overseas and they land on shore, let's say in, in, in Long Bay in California, once they land on shore, we will one, anticipate where they should go. Mm. So by using the deliver system, we will anticipate where the end consumer might be for that particular product. That product will get shipped there to the, whatever the closest fulfillment network warehouse is. And then when an order is placed, the fulfillment, the 3PL will get a notification and they will ship out the products on behalf of the merchant. And it'll all be done branded and, and done in a way that actually is on brand for that particular merchant, as opposed to in some sort of generic box that says, right. you know, someone else's company. Yeah, because it's really interesting because it feels like we've all been trained by Amazon over the last 20 years to expect, a, you know, next day delivery, two day delivery. Two day delivery, I think, is what most consumer. Yeah, I think next day is sort yeah. of, it, it depends on what you're buying, but I think two day delivery is, is, is the consumer expectation. And again, on their own, it would be a struggle for merchants to do that. But when we aggregate all of our merchants, we create a network and we also leverage existing warehouses that in some cases are sitting empty right now. That's when this thing gets really exciting. Right, right. We touched on a little bit earlier. How worried or not are you about Amazon, particularly their uh, buy with Prime service they're rolling out, which is effectively, as far as I can tell, a direct competitor to what you guys are doing in that, you know, they can just be like, here, we'll, we'll, we'll allow you to make a store with our tools. You can handle it yourself, et cetera, i.e., you know, kind of Amazon's version of Shopify. You know, you see this oftentimes where it's like Amazon announces they're going to do I think famously when they said they're going to get into like healthcare and then all these insurance companies share prices crashed because it was like the Amazon effect because, oh, here comes Amazon. And that ended up being a complete damn squib. Nothing happened. But are you concerned at all about them actually what appears to be them trying to get directly onto your turf? No, I mean, commerce is happening everywhere and we want to continue to create more opportunities for growth and success for merchants across every channel and through multiple services. So, you know, we see proof of this on our platform. We saw, I mentioned this on the, on the earnings call, but we saw orders completed on partner services that embed Shopify, like for example, Google and Meta or Instagram grow four times, 400% year on year, for example, uh, last quarter. So 
we actually believe that the future of retail, as I mentioned, is going to be everywhere. And so if we want to ensure that our merchants that use Shopify have every opportunity, we believe integration is really important, but details matter. And so I can't speak to, in particular, you know, buy with Prime and what's this going to do. But if, if Amazon is leveraging their infrastructure to help merchants sell more and do it in a way that doesn't obfuscate the end consumer doesn't in a way that actually works well with Shopify. We would welcome that, and you know, ultimately, our mission is to democratize commerce for merchants, and and that strategy has served us really, really well. And so, we will continue to do so, especially as we lean more into multi-channel, which frankly is where you know commerce is headed. In fact, my my belief is that you know the the concept multi-channel, which just means selling across more than one surface, so online yeah. and offline. My belief is that in the next few years. Talking about omni-channel or talking about multi-channel will be like talking about a color TV. You would never say that today because every TV is fundamentally a color TV. And frankly, there's no better example I can give you than what happened during COVID. I mean, COVID happens March 2020, and every merchant that was only in physical stores had to shut their doors, at least in most countries. And many of them came to Shopify, many of them for the first time, to say, hey, can we? Can you help us move online as well? And we did. We became effectively the default and de facto you know, e-commerce platform for all these physical stores that had to, had to shut down. And we built massive trust with all these physical retailers that just moved online during that period. Now that retail is rebalancing and physical retail is reopening and events are reopening and all these things are, are kind of coming back to life, what we're seeing is that those retailers that moved uh, online during the pandemic, they still are keeping their e-commerce business. They're, they're just adding their physical retail to it as well. And that's the reason why our value proposition of being a retail operating system to allow you to sell anywhere is so valuable. Because now they have their online store, which they didn't have two years ago. They also have their offline store. Now they're trying to, you know, they're placing ads and they're and on, on social media and they're they're creating conversations and they're creating content. They're creating these much richer businesses that frankly are more future proof. Because if we go into another lockdown again, I hope we don't, but if we were to, they have an online business. And if their consumers really want to meet them in person, they also have a way to do so. And so that's what I mean that I, I don't think you're going to see this sort of binary one, one channel versus the other. I think ultimately the best brands are simply going to understand to sell wherever their consumers might be. So you guys have been a kind of an engine of this whole direct to consumer kind of web only direct, you know, things like Dollar Shave Club, you know, is the OG. Um, but all birds you mentioned, many, many others. We've all seen what has happened to those businesses' share prices, those that are public. And a lot of them just aren't making money largely because of, it appears, Facebook ad rates, Instagram ad rates have skyrocketed. And those were their, their primary way to kind of attract customers. Um, and so the economics have kind of turned upside down for a lot of these companies. I mean, is direct-to-consumer dead, especially when you're talking about kind of you have to be kind of everywhere on all the different channels are we going to look back at this like last 10 years of like, oh, that remember when there was like a whole bunch of brands that started up and they were solely online and it wasn't that cool, but that's just not sustainable. Yeah, no, direct to consumer is so far from dead. In fact, <laughs> I think it's, you know, if this is, let's use a bad sports analogy, you know, if this is a baseball game, they're still on DTC, direct to consumer is still on the bus on the way to the stadium. We haven't started playing yet. I think direct mm. to consumer is, is just getting started. And in fact, if you think about those brands, notwithstanding share price, because some of the share prices is just related to uh, just a general market rebalance or, or you know, some, some recession risk. But the businesses that have been really successful on Shopify, they never had one single channel 
by which they were able to acquire customers. They always had multiple channels. And so, yes, there may, it, you know, return on ad spend may be less now than it was. So, you know, cost of customer acquisition may, may have gone up given some of the privacy changes, but that's also a huge opportunity. One, it means that smaller businesses are now able to find new creative ways to get in front of customers, whether it's, you know, a, a YouTube channel or it's engaging in, in, in great conversation on social media or it's creating pop-ups or having a physical store, which actually, you know, there's a lot of great opportunities now to, to rent physical stores that just weren't available five years ago. So I don't think that that DTC is going away. What I do think, however, is that it is really important that these brands figure out and, and, and the best ones have where their consumers are spending their time and then working with their consumers and, and finding their consumers there. One of the things that we announced, we, we, we talked about it at Editions, but we announced it a couple of weeks ago, was Shopify audiences. Mm. Another area we really think we can help on is if you are a Shopify merchant, you're able to use a product, opt into a product called audiences. You tell us what products you want to advertise. You put the products into, into the system and the output of it is we give you a lookalike audience. And now when you're buying ads on any of the major ad platforms, whether it's Google or it's Facebook or it's, it's Meta uh, or Instagram, you now place your ad, you also upload this lookalike audience. And we know with quite a bit of certainty that your return ad spend will go up. It's because we have a lot of indication of what are the types of merchants that may want to buy um, a product like yours. And so even on the advertising thing, as things you know begin to rebalance, even there, there's an opportunity for us to play a real role here. But I think, you know, I, I think you're going to still see some merchants that want to have, you know, direct to consumer will be a big, big thing. Uh, some merchants are going to want to have a wholesale business. In fact, one of the big announcements at additions, as you said, we had about 100, 100 announcements, uh, products and, and functionality uh, announced yesterday. One of, the, one of the ones we announced was B2B for wholesale. Right now, we think that the way that the wholesale industry actually is bigger than the retail industry, if you just look at dollar, yeah. just dollar GMV. But if you are a, a merchant or a brand on Shopify or any, any platform, you have your sort of wholesale business and your retail business, and those are separate. And this new functionality that we, we announced yesterday, uh, B2B functionality, means you can run both businesses directly from Shopify, from that operating system that, that we've been talking about. So one, that's great for Shopify because it means, you know, our TAM expansion means more people can now use Shopify. But it also means that Shopify continues to make the, you know, step-by-step -step becoming the heart of, of these 2 million businesses that, that use us. That is really, really important. And I, I think, you know, one of the other cool parts of, as we reflect a little bit in the last two years that we saw is you did see consumers very much deciding and shifting towards this preference about buying from brands that they admire, brands whose mission re resembles their own, brands from they want to support. This idea of, you know, who are the small businesses in our hometown? We want to support those. We want to support the local coffee shop. We want to support the local dry cleaner. That is also the case, I believe, with, you know, when you're buying a black t-shirt or a pair of socks, you're buying, you know, a, a really cool, you know, water bottle. You want to buy from brands who you deeply have a connection to, maybe because you saw a video they did, or maybe you heard their story. That is not going away. And that is at the heart of, of DTC and, and even more so this idea of connect to consumer. Um, I know we're running short on time, but I have, to, I have two more questions. One was on Again, on this idea of the ad and the changing ad world, you know, Apple very well, as anybody who knows in this world, um, they've pushed through their anti-tracking tool. It's completely upended a, a whole swathe of how advertising works online. I'm just wondering, have you, what effects, what downstream effects have you guys seen, you know, vis-a-vis -vis your 2 million merchants in terms of the, those huge shifts that Apple's pushing where they basically have have disallowed folks like Facebook and others to, you know, 
track people across the web and send them targeted ads based on that information. Yeah, so I mean, the, a lot of these changes, you know, happened six months ago or so. So we've we've already seen a lot of a lot of the results of it. And and uh, you know, as I said in the earnings call, we saw GMV in Q1 had a two-year compound annual growth rate of like 57%. So we're still seeing a ton of GMV uh, coming out of these merchants. One thing is, I mean, so just to say it up, up front, I, I do think that some of these changes have created friction for merchants in advertising, and they have lowered their return on ad spend, which is not good. And, and it has a disproportionate impact in SMBs. But that's why we think things like audiences and connecting them with buyers across every channel that is a really, really important thing. And I said this before, I'll say it again, social commerce. So buying off these social platforms powered by Shopify continues to gain traction. As orders placed on the services, they quadrupled Q1 of 2022 over 2021. So that traction will continue, whether it's Facebook or it's TikTok or we have an integration with Spotify and Snap, for example. That's where these things become even more important to these businesses. And so again, you know, when when one door closes, others open. Years ago, if we were having this conversation, we'd be talking about, I don't know, a MySpace channel. And you would have asked, hey, what happens when MySpace goes away? I mean, so the idea, <laughs> I, I think the brands that are going to be most impactful and will be around and leading in the future will have a future-proof business model so that if one of these channels isn't necessarily as productive as it once were, you double down on one of these others. And that's the that's the reason why Shopify is a very different type of product than an e-commerce company uh, per se, or a single, a strictly e-commerce company, or a Clyde point-of-sale company. The idea is whatever the consumer wants to buy and how they want to buy in the future, you'll be able to do very easily through Shopify. Lastly, you guys very famously, right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, went fully remote and are like, you know, the future is remote work. This is the way we're doing it. We're shutting down our offices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The best thing about this full shift to remote work and the worst thing about the full shift to remote work. I mean, the best thing about this remote work thing is we now can hire the best and the brightest from anywhere in the world. There is absolutely no barrier to that. You know, in the UK, for example, we have... We have people across the country and they don't have to live in central London. You know, we have an engineer director in Lake District. We have an HR director in Somerset. We have a data scientist in Edinburgh. Like we are able to hire and retain the greatest people on the planet mm. and they can work at Shopify from anywhere. So that 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 I think is a, is a huge advantage. So they don't have to trek to Ottawa. They don't have to come to Ottawa. They don't have to live, you know, close to this idea of office centricity, I think is over. Um, you can live wherever you want, whatever is most convenient for you and your family, and you can still, you know, have a real impact on Shopify. Uh, that's the best part. I wouldn't say the worst part, but the less good part is you do have to figure out ways to connect in person. There are certain times where, yeah. and we, we call them bursts. So we took our offices. We, we don't have nearly as many anymore, but we did keep a few of them and we turned them into what we call ports, which are really more like places to have on sites and off sites and places to gather and places to spend time one on you know face to face in 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 with your teams. And all of our all of our teams, everyone that works at Shopify, meets with those teams in these sort of bursts. And it's you know very intentional and usually over a three or four day period, but they spend time in person. It's funny because previously we all went to offices, but often you know, I'd sit on my laptop and not talk to anyone else and someone next to me would sit their laptop. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Now these bursts at these port locations, what it really means is you spend intentional time together. And so I think there's a real need to continue to do that. And we, we think we've, we've hit a really good balance. But for us especially, the talent density that Shopify has right now, mm. uh, I just celebrated my 12th year at Shopify uh, last week. And I don't think I've ever seen 
the amount of talent against the, the talent density that we have right now. It's it's exceptional. Right, right. Well, look, I know you, you, you've got to hop to, uh, to other things, but I really appreciate taking the time. It's a fascinating time, I think, for the internet. <laughs> Me too. I think it's, it's funny. I think it's actually one of the most exciting times for the internet, also for retail in general. I think this idea that, you know, anyone can start a business today at their mom's kitchen table. And a year from now, you can do tens of millions of dollars in sales and you can be rivaling Nike mm. is is something incredible. And I think what most people miss is they see only one perspective. They see it's only online or it's only offline. Yeah, it's yeah, only yeah. and actually I think it's going to be everywhere. And I think it's going to be really exciting, not just for entrepreneurship and and, and business creation. But also for consumers who I think are going to have more choice and more richer experiences. You know, Mr. Beast, one of the biggest YouTubers on the planet, just launched this thing called Feastables, a chocolate bar company on Shopify. And, it, you know, no, no advertising other than talking about it on his YouTube channel. And he put out a couple golden tickets in these chocolate bars, a la Willy Wonka. And when you see the golden ticket, you're now able to go and, and he's actually recreating a Willy Wonka chocolate factory and will film the whole thing on YouTube. I mean, this is an incredible time for retail and, and interesting concepts and commerce. And, and Shopify, we're very fortunate that we're, we're powering a lot of it, if not most of it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Harley. I want to thank you all for taking the time to listen for the ratings and the reviews and, you know, spreading the word about Danny in the Valley. I really do appreciate it. That is it for me this week. Well, actually, I'm going to write a piece based on this um, chat I had with Harley uh, in the paper. So if you want to hear more, do check that out at thetimes.co.uk or pick up an actual physical bundle of dead trees and read it for yourself over your Sunday breakfast. That is it for me this week. Have a fabulous weekend. And of course, we will be back next week with another episode for your delectation. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.